You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the Word of God. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. It's interesting here that the Lord is using many individuals to get his plan into operation. When the Lord wants to have his way, he will use whomever he needs to use to get the job done. The Lord is looking to and fro throughout the land for a heart that he can show him strong on behalf or to someone that he can show himself strong on. The Lord uses all kinds of things. Whatever is at his disposal, he uses. When God has something that needs to be done, He'll use whomever He can to accomplish it. It could be us, but if we're not willing, God will turn to others. In today's message, Pastor Dave encourages us to live with an openness to God and His perfect timing, and a willingness to do whatever He asks of us. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 4, with part 2 of his message, A New Solution to an Old Problem. Barak has God's promise that he is going to deliver this Jabin, into his hands if he would only take the army of 10,000. We're going to find out in a couple chapters that 10,000 is too many. If he would just take 10,000 and go against this army, God would give him into his hands. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. I love Barak's reply. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Excuse me. God's telling you to go. Barak looks at her and says, I'll go if you go. I'll go if you go. Now, why would he say these things? Why would he say these things? I'm not sure. God has called him to do these things. He hesitates at the Lord's command. He hesitates and says, I need somebody to go with me. He hesitates. Is he taking her because she's the voice of the Lord? We're not really sure why he said this. But I got news for you. You got to be careful when you say, I'll go if you go. Got to be careful saying that. Last time I said that, I ended up jumping out of an airplane. That's another story. We got to be careful when we say, I'll go if you go. I'll go if you go. He hesitates. How many times when God tells you to do something, do you hesitate? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down and you go, ah, yeah, I should. Should have gone. Ugh. Should have had that V8. Oh, man. I should have. Oh, God. Oh. How many times do you hesitate? We hesitate. God tells us to do that. But I've said before that, here's the key, folks. And this is big. God will never ask you to do something that he does not give you the power to complete what he's asked you to do. Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem, you're going to be my witnesses, but wait until you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. They waited, and when they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, they went. God empowered them to do what Jesus had told them to do, to be witnesses of him. And many were saved, and the church was born. God will never, ever, ever ask you to do something that he has not empowered you or will empower you to do. 
Sometimes he's waiting for you to take that first step in faith. He's waiting for you to say, yes, Lord, in obedience and say, boom. Yes, Lord. And we go in faith and say, yes, Lord, we walk. One commentator, I think it was Wearsby that I read, said this. God's commandments are God's enablements. I like that. God's commandments are God's enablements. God says, do this. And as we do it, we have this power to do it. He gives us this power. Was Barak's response evidence of unbelief? Or was it a mark of humility? Look what happens. Basically, he's told, if I go, there's going to be no glory in it for you. Look at verse 9. So she, Deborah, said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you. In the journey you are taking for the Lord will sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Again, she's prophesizing. She's a prophetess. Prophet brings forth the word of God. In this instance, it's predictive. I'm not going to go, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get the credit, Barak. You're not going to be able to boast and say, look what I did. I led the army against Jabin and we won. No, the credit's going to go to a woman. Now, Barak might have thought, so you think you're going to get the credit, Deborah? She wasn't talking about herself. She wasn't talking about herself. And I see some strange look in your eyes. Hang on. Wait till we get to the end of the chapter and you'll see what we're talking about. You'll see what we're talking about. No glory for you, pal. You asked me to come along. A woman will get the glory. Look at verse 10. We see the fact that Deborah agrees to go with him suggests that it was God's will that Deborah go. But when Deborah went with Barak, the Lord took the honor from the men and gave it completely to the women of that time. In verse 10, we see this. And Barak called Zebulon and Natali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his commandment, and Deborah went with him. Barak gathers up the army. Gather all these guys, these 10,000 men. Look for the tribes are with, the tribe of Natali and the tribe of Zebulon. That's where he draws these men out, and now they're ready to fight. In verses 11 to 13, Caesarea is getting info about the Jews, and then he begins to gather his army and move against them. Let's read 11 through 13. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the timber tree at Zananim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sesera that Barak, the son of Abedouin, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sesera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Harasheth, Haggim, to the river Kishon. It's interesting here that the Lord is using many individuals to get his plan into operation. When the Lord wants to have his way, he will use whomever he needs to use to get the job done. The Lord is looking to and throw throughout the land for a heart that he can show him strong on behalf or to someone that he can show himself strong on. The Lord uses all kinds of things. Whatever is at his disposal, he uses. Let me give you a case in point. When you are sick, about ready to go into an operation, have some sort of malady or something like that, 
Scripture says you call for the elders of the church. The elders of the church come and they lay hands on you. They anoint you with oil and they pray that God would heal you. Now, it's my belief that God could heal you supernaturally like that. It has happened. I've seen it. But God also uses men, women. He uses medicine. He uses antibiotics. He uses operations. He uses doctors. He uses these things, but he still is the healer. God does the healing. He may use all these other kinds of things in his way to get the healing done, but he still gets the credit for the healing. And we must always remember that. My prayer is, and I told you this before, my prayer is is that those who work as aid people, who work in hospitals and who work in those kind of fields, would know that it was God that was guiding them, would know that all the gifts that they've gotten, these wonderful gifts, I mean, some of these doctors are so brilliant. They're so incredibly masterful at what they do, knowing their way around a human body and knowing how to spot this or spot that. They're incredibly intelligent. My prayer is that they would realize they didn't get this by studying a book. They got this from God. They got this as a gift from God. And that's my prayer. The Lord would do that. The Lord uses people. He's getting ready to use Caesarea in a mighty way. He's getting ready to use his army. He's trying to prove a point. He wants to prove this point. He uses the unlikeliest characters that there are. Look at verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Caesarea into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with the 10,000 men following him. Get up. What was he waiting for? Was he waiting around? I don't know. But she comes in and says, hey, time's now. The Lord has given you him to the hand. The battle belongs to the Lord. Why? He's gone before you. He's gone before you. Once again, we see a past tense. Hasn't the Lord delivered him to you? Hasn't the Lord given him to you? Hasn't the Lord done this We're victorious in the Lord. Hasn't everything been settled on the cross? Hasn't everything been done, finished, settled on the cross? We should live that way. We should live that way that it's complete. Those words that Jesus uttered on the cross, it is finished. What does that mean? He didn't say it's partially finished. He didn't say it's going to be finished. He didn't say it's going to be finished sometime. He said it is finished, past tense. It's done, complete. The work is done. Deborah says, the Lord's gone before you. In other words, she's telling him, hey, get up and get, catch up with the Lord. The bus is left with the Lord on it, and you're still here in the station, pal. Get going. How many times has the bus with the Lord on it left without you? I've been there, done that. I've been there when the bus left with the Lord on it. Hey, Lord, I'm here. Have a nice trip. Sometimes the bus leaves and we're not there because we're not ready. We're not doing what the Lord has told us to do. We're not in step with the Lord. We're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're not listening to that move, that push to do things. And the bus leaves without us. The Lord has gone before us. We need to catch up with the Lord. He's ever before us. Verses 15 and 16, we see the battle such as it is. (laughs) And the Lord routed Caesarea and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Caesarea alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Hagadosh Hagium, and all the army of Caesarea fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. 
battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord is victorious. But the Lord also did something miraculous to help. Now remember, there's 900 chariots. There's 900 chariots. That's a lot of men. A lot of men. He's got 10,000 men, but there's a lot of men here. If you look at Judges 5 during the song, in verses 20 and 22, it says, They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, O my soul, march in its strength. All through chapter 5, you read, The Lord brings this great storm to the battlefield. He brings this great storm to the battlefield. It's almost like the Nazi army during World War II getting bogged down in the snow and they can't move because they ran out of gas. They're bogged down in the snow. The Lord brings this great rainstorm. Do you ever see chariots and horses in the mud? They don't do real well. They don't do real well. So the Lord miraculously does this. And it's really interesting here. I, I, I like words, and I, I like the way, the meaning of words. And in verse 15, it says, the Lord routed them. Doesn't mean that it was a lopsided score, like we see a route in a football game. What it means is, he confused them. He threw them into panic. And it's interesting because, if you go back to Exodus 14, 24, the same word is used when God destroyed Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. Same word is used. Another interesting fact, this was during the dry season. This was during the dry season, so nobody expected rain. Least of all, the 900 chariots. Now, did Baal have anything to do with this? It's interesting because you know that they served Baal. No, he didn't have anything to do with it. But they served Baal. And he was the god of storms and of agriculture and of rain. But when it started raining and they saw this thing, did they become superstitious? Did they become freaked out? Because, wait a minute, how come our God is fighting against us? What's happening here? Cesaro escapes the battle and flees. He's alive. Let's read on verse 18 through 20. Now let's read 17. However, Sesra had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Canite. And Jael went out to meet Sesra and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her to the tent, she covered him with the blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened the jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. So he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man in there? You shall say, No. Interesting. Interesting. Why he's running away, he sees this great Tebner tree. Now, if you remember in Joshua, when they were separating the land, this Tebner tree was the border between Naphtali and the other places. So she sees him. He comes up to her. And she takes him into his tent. Now, right away, this could be seriously dangerous. Going into this lady's tent, I mean, you just didn't do that kind of stuff. You didn't do that kind of stuff for fear that you would have your head chopped off. But she gets him to come into his tent. And I love this fact. She hides him. She puts a blanket over his head. 
She said, right there. She put a blanket over his head. I got to tell you a quick story. I used to play, when my granddaughter Kaylee was this high, she would come to visit us. And her favorite game was hide and seek. Pop, pop, we play hide and seek. Yeah, sure, you go. All right, I'm, so I'm counting, right? I'm counting to 5,910. No, I'm counting, right? And she goes and hides. And several times she was hiding, she took a blanket and just set it over her head and stood there or sat there. She's sitting there with a blanket over her head. I'm going, where's Kaylee? Of course, I'm playing along. But get the picture, folks. This guy goes into this woman's tent and she puts a blanket over his head. What? I think the Lord had a great sense of humor. I really did. I really think the Lord has a great sense of humor. He puts this blanket over his head. <laughs> I love it. He tells Jayla, he said, listen, when somebody comes up and says, is there a guy in there? Say no. I want you to lie. I want you to lie. Now give me a drink of water. So she goes and gets him a glass of milk. I'm very confused by this whole thing, except the fact that what happens next is kind of the payoff, folks. Here comes the payoff. And I love this verse. Here comes the payoff. Yeah. Then Jael, Hebner's wife, took a tent peg and it took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and went down to the ground. So he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. <laughs> I love that. Here, have a glass of milk, sucker. Here, hide under this blanket, sucker. I love it. You know, it's no surprise back then that she could wail a hammer. Because in that culture, it was the woman that put the tents up and it was the woman that took the tents down. The girl could use a hammer. She pegs the guy, right? I mean, right to the temple. She gets it. You got to love it. You got to love it. This guy flees from the battle. First of all, that's embarrassing in itself. He runs away from the battle. All his men are killed and he's not. Right away, something's wrong with this picture, folks. Something's wrong with this picture. And that alone is humiliating. Fleeing the battle is humiliating. Running away is humiliating. Did you know a little known fact that during the Civil War, when they were battling on both sides and when they started to withdraw, the troops would back away from each other. They would back away from each other because they didn't want to turn around and be shot in the back and be called a coward. God used this woman to accomplish his purpose. This guy deserved to die. I mean, he fought against God's people on behalf of the leader, and he harshly oppressed them. Stories have it. I mean, Josephus, the great historian, tells of stories and legends how these people, Jabin and Sesera, would come in and they would sack villages and they would rape the women and rape the children and, and do horrible, horrendous things to these people during the 20 years. So this was justified according to what was going on here, but there's a lesson here. God can even make evil men serve his purpose. When God wants a purpose served, he will use whatever's available. In Psalm 76, verse 10, it says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Never diminish the personal responsibility of the one doing evil. For example, this woman, Jael, will be held accountable. Judas's betrayal of Jesus served an eternal purpose for God. Yet, he still had to answer for the evil deed. He still had to answer for the evil deed. Verse 23, then as Barak pursued Susra, came, Jael called out to him, came out to him and meet him and said, come, I will show you the man whom you seek. 
And when he went into her tent, there lay Caesarea, dead with a peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. A couple things I want to end with here. First of all, remember, the prophetess has said to Barak, you will get no glory. You will get no glory. And a woman will get glory. Well, Jael was the one that eventually killed Sesera. But what does it say in verse 23? Read verse 23. So on that day, who subsued them? God subdued them. God always gets the glory. God always gets the glory. God subdued them. It was God who did it. God did it in the presence of Israel. And look at the excitement. When God does mighty works in our presence, we should be excited. We should get really excited when we see that. We should want to give Him thanks and we should want to give Him praise. God's doing such a mighty work within us. We've seen healings. We've seen various things happen. We've seen all kinds of things. We should want to give him praise and we should want to save him in glory. And that leads into chapter 5. Deborah's beautiful song of praise and she fills in some of the gaps that we're missing in the narrative here. And we'll see that next week. But I want to emphasize two more things. First of all, God is the one that gets the glory. I can't emphasize that enough. Anything we ever do, God gets the glory. This is his church. He gets the glory for whatever happens here. He gets the glory. No man should revel in his glory nor take his glory from him. He gets the glory. He established his church. It's his job to build it, to grow it, to provide for it, and to do what needs to be done. He's going to raise up people to do the work in the ministry that he's called us to do. God gets the glory. The first thing we did when we came into this building, we put Psalm 1 and 27.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It's God who gets the glory. I want no other glory than to be given to God. We can't, it doesn't go to any man. Let no man glory in God's presence. Let no man take what God has done and call it his own. And the second thing I want to tell you is just, This really emphasizes the fact that we need to be available for God. We need to be available for what God wants to do. We don't want to be like the Israelites. We want to continue to seek God. We want to continue to obey him. When he calls us, we want to take that step in faith. God can move you more easily when you're going in faith than he can when you're just sitting here. I'm waiting for God to move. Well, no, actually, he's waiting for you to move. He's moving mightily. you got to catch up with him. Be available to what God wants to do in your life. Pastor Dave Shank will continue his series in the book of Judges next time you join us for Cape Watch Radio. In the meantime, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at capewatchradio.com. We'd encourage you to download these messages so they're available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, 
gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at capewatchradio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Both services offer nursery and Sunday school, where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You're also welcome to come join us Wednesday nights at 7 for our verse-by-verse study through the Bible. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Judges. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this Old Testament book right here on Cape Watch Radio.